Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So Wednesday evening, finding ourselves here about halfway through our time together. <clears throat> I think a lot of times about this time in the retreat, it's common to feel a little raw. Maybe that's not everyone's experience, but uh, as we slow down, as we come into presence, we begin to contact our hearts and some of the visitors uh, that have been waiting for our attention. And sometimes for days or weeks, and sometimes for years. And this, uh, this territory of the heart is a, a key component in our speech practice. I was reflecting on giving the talk tonight, and one of the questions that came to mind is, you know, why are we here? Why, why, what's brought you here? And I would imagine that for a lot of us, one of the things that's brought us here is our heart. Because our hearts are, are delicate. They're fragile, and we're affected. We're affected by the world. We're affected by others. We're affected by words. They have an impact on us. Maybe want to just invite you to reflect for a moment on what it's like when you're around someone whose speech is gentle, whose speech is clear and honest. You know that you can trust what they say. What's it like to be in that, the presence of someone like that? What they say is useful, it's helpful, it's kind, it's appropriate, it's not frivolous. For me, it has kind of a magnetic quality. It, it pulls me in. I want to be around that. And how is it when we're around the opposite? When we're around someone whose speech is harsh, if it's less than truthful, we're not sure if we can actually trust what they say. If somebody who gossips a lot, who chatters, uses frivolous speech, you know, how is that? What's the effect that has on our mind, on our energy. There's a story I heard about one of the Burmese Sayadaws, one of the teachers in Burma, I can't remember which teacher it was, but um, who wouldn't speak at meetings because he recognized how difficult it was to be mindful when as soon as he opened his mouth. So he chose to simply stay silent as a skillful means to try to not cause harm and not create problems. So, you know, not only is that a reflection of how powerful the speech is, but also, you know, how difficult it is. Really, when when we think about it with our words, we're going to put something in someone else's mind when we speak. And it might stay there for a while. Uh, the Buddha said, better than a thousand useless words is one word which brings peace. Well, 
One of the things that we begin to explore, I think, as we pay attention to our speech and do this work is the relationship between our words, our speech, and our heart. And I think we've, we've probably started to see how they affect one another. Our words come out of our heart. And yet also the way that we speak and think also affects our heart. So what I want to talk tonight about is the, the cultivation of the heart and, and its role in our speech practice. There's a, a saying by a, from a Sufi text called A Sufi Rule for Novices that says, if words come out of the heart, they will enter the heart. But if they come from the tongue, they will not pass beyond the ears. So we've been talking a lot about intention and training our attention, leading leading with presence, leading with our heart and our intention. A lot of this practice, I think, is about having a willingness to meet another person in our, in our full heart's presence and not really know what's going to happen next. To be able to, uh, to sit in the feeling with someone without needing to change it, to fix it. And then, and then let the words come out of that. Let the words come out of that space of presence, of connection. We were practicing some with empathy this afternoon. And, uh, this is a, a quote about empathy that uh, I find very true. It says, The capacity to give one's attention to a sufferer is a very rare and difficult thing. It's almost a miracle. It is a miracle. Nearly all those who think they have this capacity do not possess it. The love of our neighbors in all its fullness simply means being able to say to them, what are you going through? This is one of the things that we're cultivating here is that ability for our heart to bring it forward, to, to meet experience with an openness to say, what is this like for ourselves and for others? with our mindfulness internally, with our own experience, to meet our experience in the moment and and ask with openness, with warmth, what is this? How is this? What is it like to be here? And to meet another with our heart. How, How is it for you right now? And to just rest in that space of not quite knowing, Because really, what do we have words for? How much can we really say when it comes down to it? And what do we have words for? Why are they here other than to connect us? Donald spoke the other night about the Buddha's first teaching. And uh, he spoke about the moments after the Buddha's enlightenment when he was sitting under the tree and walking and and really just reflecting and enjoying the the effects of his awakening. And as the story goes in the sutta, as Donald was saying, he, he kind of, surveyed the scene and had a sense that, you know, no one's going to get this. Is it really going to be worth teaching? And as the legend goes, this um, king of the gods came down, Brahma Sahampati, the lord of all, when, uh, when this, this god sort of intuited or saw that the Buddha was not going to teach, this god came down and got down on one knee and asked the Buddha to teach. And it's very interesting and I think relevant for this work that we're doing, why the Buddha chose to teach. There's one word that's used 
to describe the quality of heart that moved the Buddha to teach. The word in Pali is anukampati or anukampa, which means something like empathy. The literal translation of the word anu means with or together. And kampa or kampati is to tremble, to quiver. So the heart that trembles, that quivers, that resonates. And that's, and that's so much of what, what this is. Our heart, it, it's affected, it's, it resonates, it feels. And we live in a realm, we live in a realm, as I think we all know, that's unreliable. Things come and go. People come and go into our lives. We get things, we lose them. We win, we fail. Others favor us, others disfavor us. And it affects us. We feel it. How do we meet that? How do we hold that? The beauty of uh, the the gift that we have as as a as a human is the potential for the heart to open, to allow life to touch us, to allow these changes to. Uh, to let the heart grow, to let the heart mature and open. There's a beautiful saying from uh, Khalil Gibran that uh, joy can only fill the heart as deep as sorrow carves it. Right? The 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. So the untrained heart responds to these changes how? When we don't pay attention, we, we, we contract we tighten, the heart becomes rigid, and we respond by pushing away the things that are difficult, by lashing out, and, and by chasing after and trying to, trying to keep the things that we like. And, you know, I think we can see this in our speech when we're not balanced, when we're not present and clear, and something happens that we don't like, how do we respond? Those energies in the heart come out through the words. And when we have the presence, presence of mind, to be able to wait, to pause, to reflect, to check that impulse, to, to just react, something else can emerge, something beautiful. Kindness. Generosity, compassion, understanding. So, the practice that we're doing in the evenings of the metta practice is a key practice on the path of awakening, and it's a key practice for our speech. In terms of the, the, the path of awakening, the, the opening of the heart can provide some of the, some of the life force, some of the, um, some of the juice 
for our practice, the, qual- the qualities of friendliness that are, so, that are so essential. And in terms of our speech, I think it's I think it's kind of a no-brainer when there's kindness in the heart. It it, it infuses the words, infuses the words. So I'd I'd like to talk a little bit about this this practice of metta and sort of the the range of practices that accompany it. The 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 word Brahma Vihara. Um, Brahma means divine or heavenly, and Vihara literally means uh, an abode, a resting place. Uh, monasteries are often called Vihara. It's a place where you stay, a place where you can rest. And there are four of these. Met, metta, metta is just the first, kindness, this friendliness. The Dalai Lama talks about metta as basic human warmth. Basic human warmth. Just that feeling you have when you see a good friend. Just, ah, so good to see you. But this this name of a divine abode, a divine resting place, um, it's not not random. That these these are sort of like fields that uh, in the heart that we can actually rest in when they're well cultivated. When the heart is well trained, one of the, you know, sort of common phrases in spiritual circles is "follow your heart," right? Follow your heart. Ajahn Sumedho, one of the teachers in the Thai forest tradition here in the West, is fond of saying, you know, rather than follow your heart, to, to train your heart. To train your heart, and so we can train our heart in these ways. We can train our heart in kindness. We can train our heart in karuna or compassion. And we can train our heart in mudita. These are the names of the buildings here at Spirit Rock. Mudita, which is joy. Joyfulness in the happiness of others. The oft-quoted advertisement for mudita by the Dalai Lama is, you know, when you count others' happiness as your own, your chances for happiness increase 8 billion to 1 or 7 billion to 1, right? And the last of the Brahma Viharas is upeka, equanimity, balance, the sense of this wide emotional space that can hold the ups and downs. I remember the one of the first times that um, I really noticed this quality uh, of the Brahma Viharas of of compassion. Really, I was uh, I was in India. I had just started practicing, and um, I was in quite a lot of pain over uh, a relationship, a love relationship that was sort of dissolving because I was in India. <laughs> And um, I went to see one of the teachers, a man by the name of Godwin, who was one of my first Vipassana teachers, a Sri Lankan man. Uh, Really, really wonderful, very gentle, very gentle being. One of the things he was fond of saying, um, the teaching in metta for oneself was, he would say, sometimes when I don't feel so good, I like to tell myself in a very gentle way, it's okay to not feel okay. <laughs> right? Just bringing that warmth to the heart. So I was sitting with Godwin having an interview, and I was telling him how much pain I was in about this relationship. And he was just listening, smiling gently. And he asked me, he said, you know, where does it hurt? And I said, here. And then I could feel it. I could feel the ache, you know. And it, it swelled up. 
and then it passed, and then it was gone. And I, in the moment, I thought he had he'd done something magical. I was like, that's amazing, you know? It was only later, after practicing and really reflecting, that I, I saw, like, it, that's its nature, is to just be felt, to be experienced, and then to pass. But it was, it was his compassion, it was his, this warm invitation to feel it and hold it without trying to change it or make it go away that allowed for that experience to happen. One of the ways that I really like to understand the Brahma Viharas um, is through this, this lens of the quality of empathy, of this resonant heart, a resonant heart. When the heart is resonant and open, unobstructed, in balance, and it meets experience, it meets another, its natural response is kindness. When the open, resonant heart meets suffering, its response is compassion. When the open, resonant heart meets happiness, its response is joy, celebration. How wonderful. That's great. You know? And when the open, balanced, resonant heart meets the inevitable changes of life, its response is balance. Its response is wide to hold it all. This is a, these are natural properties of the heart. And they're properties that can be cultivated. This is one of the insights that, that comes with our practice, is that the mind and the heart can be trained. So, in, in, in training the heart, there are certain things that support these qualities. One is understanding, understanding how they arise, and understanding where we can get off track with them. So, for example, with kindness, with metta, the, the cause for kindness arising is seeing the good in others. Seeing the good in others. And you can notice, when you notice something good about someone, what happens inside? How does it feel? You naturally feel a sense of, ah, oh, wonderful, great. May you be well. The uh, sort of corruption of kindness, when we, when we get slightly off track, is that that sense of kindness and goodwill can become self-referenced, that I want something from you, right? Which is so often happens in romantic relationships. The sense of love ceases to be unconditional in the way that it can be with a friend, and it begins to depend on you doing something for me, you giving something to me. With uh, compassion, meeting suffering, seeing suffering. So this is a proximate cause for karuna. Is it just meeting suffering, or is there another to you? Experientially, it's just meeting. Just meeting. Yeah, yeah. So you know, when the heart meets suffering and it's balanced, it's the compassion is the response. When we get off track there, the heart can fall into pity. Right, where we we become separate from the person and we look down upon them in some way. Oh, isn't it a shame? Isn't it a shame? Right? It's not actually compassion. We're not actually there with the experience, with the wish to alleviate the suffering. And with joy, with celebration, when we meet the happiness of another, that we can get off track, we get exuberant, we get overexcited. And with upeka, with balance, the heart being balanced, very fine difference between equanimity, balance, and indifference. 
we can fall into just not caring. It doesn't matter. It's all impermanence. For me, uh, in my life right now, the training in these areas is with my father, uh, who whose health is sort of so-so, um, but more so his heart is uh, really in a lot of pain, really, really in a lot of suffering, and uh, not able to do much about it. You know, really just stuck. And uh, it's really difficult to see. It's, uh, it's difficult to be in his house because the whole house is sort of permeated with this feeling of heaviness, of, 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 of weight and darkness and stagnance. You know, it's sort of the, the field of his heart and mind is just kind of spread out into his living space. And it's very clear to see how the external becomes a reflection and a manifestation of the internal. And so it's been interesting to see the process of the heart meeting, coming in contact with that suffering and first trying to fix it and make it better and then pulling away and finding the middle ground where I can just meet it with compassion finding the middle ground where I recognize that the best and the only thing I can do is to just show up with my presence, just to offer my heart's presence, not pull away, not shrink away from the pain that I feel to see someone that I love suffering and not be able to change it. But to meet it strengthens the heart. To meet it gives gives us the opportunity to become bigger, for the heart to grow. Now, what is awakening? What is this? What is this goal that we've created in our mind? This this potential that we have trust and faith in, and and the and the imagination that we create of it. You know, I think Donald was referring to you know earlier, the the myth of enlightenment as the the moment where everything lights up and then we feel bliss for the rest of our lives, right? And talk about when you start practicing, suffering is like a hair on the palm of your hand. And after you've been practicing for a while, it's like a hair in your eye. It's the same hair. For me, the more I practice, the more trust I have that awakening is allowing the heart to be open and feel and to not not resist not contract not uh, not restrict the flow of experience the joy and the sorrow to let it all pass through and be unaffected not unaffected but um, not shaken not fractured not damaged by it the Buddha was affected. The Buddha was affected. When, when his chief disciples, Sariputta and Moggallana, died, he said, his, his attendant Ananda said, you know, how, how are you doing, noble Lord? And his response was, it is as if the sun and the moon have gone out of the sky. That was the experience of loss that the Buddha felt. And... He said, and it is marvelous, my mind is balanced, is not swayed. Full depth of feeling, human experience, while staying balanced. Pretty awake. 
What do we wake up to? We wake up to the way things are. So another way that the Brahma Viharas are, are, are talked about is as a protection. They're a protection because they give us a better strategy to meet this world rather than the default strategy of shutting down, pushing away, lashing out, trying to hold on, our habitual patterns. Instead, we can meet experience with warmth, with tenderness, with compassion, with balance. This is a protection. And so we train, so we train in it. And how do we train? One moment at a time, cultivating intention. These Brahma-vihara practices are a practice of intention. We intend to meet the moment with kindness. We intend, may you be well, may you be happy. We call forth the intention. And we learn. We learn how to contact that place. Like I was saying the other day, you know, the more frequently we visit some place, the easier it is to go there. The more familiar it is, then we know where it is. We know how to go there at will. So part of metta practice is learning How do you access kindness? Where do you find it? Where does your heart touch that quality of warmth? For me, um, a profound shift in that happened on the first three-month course that I sat at IMS in Massachusetts, Insight Meditation Society. I was doing walking meditation, on the lawn in front, in front of IMS. And uh, very, very slow, steady walking meditation. I was really into it. You know, the mind was, was... It wasn't that the mind wasn't wandering, but there was a lot of interest. The mind was very engaged. And the bell rang for the next sitting. And, I, and you know, the thought occurred. It's like, maybe I'll just keep walking. You know, see what happens. And I kept walking, kept walking. And the more I paid attention, the more I noticed how with every step, there was this really subtle sense of, mm, not quite, you know, not quite good enough, not quite mindful. Could have been just a little more mindful. You know, not quite good enough, not quite good enough. Not quite good enough. Not quite good enough. And this flood of grief just came, of just seeing how many years I had been telling myself with every little thing I did, just not quite good enough. And through that grief, of seeing how hard I've been on myself, just came this flood of compassion and kindness, of just, you know, God, you know, give yourself a break. And, and it, 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 took, it took that level of careful attention and that level of contacting the real pain of, the abuse that my mind had been inflicting on itself, to know without a question where that kindness is. And ever since then, it's ready access to kindness for myself. Because I know where it is. I know where the pain is and I know where the kindness is. And so we can train ourselves to touch that place in our heart again and again of goodwill. May you be well, you know. The more we touch it, the more we know it. 
The more we know it, the more it grows. The more it grows, the more it becomes a place that we can stay, that we can rest. So there are fun ways to practice the Brahma-viharas. One of my favorite practices is, is on public transit. It's a wonderful time to practice metta. So you don't know anyone. And no one knows needs to know what you're doing. What else are you going to do if you're not reading or you know, listening to your Walkman or something? Just send people good wishes. You know, may all beings be well. May all beings be happy. All beings live with ease. Just send it out. Another practice of mine is, you know, sometimes just the people we meet every day at the grocery checkout, the the bank, the bus, to try to make a genuine human connection. To see if I can bring some quality of spontaneity and aliveness in my heart to really see that person and have some genuine connection. It's beautiful. It adds such a richness. And sometimes you can really see the effect on the other person. You know, it's like, it's like they wake up for a second out of the drudgery of the job and the day. And it's like, oh, someone real, you know, who sees me and we're here together. How much does it cost? Just a kind word. You know, a genuine word. It doesn't cost anything, really. And what would it be like? What would, what would our lives, what would our relationships, what would our world be like without these qualities? Without warmth? without generosity, without tenderness. Pretty bleak, you know? So this is the gift. This is the gift that we have, that we can bring forth the heart. We can bring forth the beautiful, the good, again and again. Another one of the Burmese Sayadaws talks about uh, talks about practice as going to the beauty parlor. We go to the beauty parlor for our mind to make our minds, our hearts beautiful. That's what we're doing with this practice. One of uh, one of the yogis in an interview group yesterday or today was talking about. Um, being in the dining hall and seeing another yogi and just seeing some pain on their face and just the, just the feeling of compassion that arose just in the moment, unforced, uncontrived, didn't know the person. But when the heart is present and balanced, that's the natural response. And so all of these qualities can infuse our speech. When we, when we cultivate them, when we practice them, they're more accessible. And when we, when we have a continuity of presence, when, we, when, we, when we're able to stay balanced, it provides the space for these qualities to arise. And it goes the other way. In other words, when we train our speech and our thinking in certain ways, it supports kindness, compassion, joy, and balance. So another yogi today, I I love it because I totally think the same way. It's like was talking about doing metta practice and it's like, you know, 
if I'm not saying these phrases, what else am I going to be thinking about? <laughs> you know, if you just take any average day when you're not engaged in something that takes all of your attention, where is our mind most of the time? Right? It's just wandering, it's babbling, it's thinking about the past, it's thinking about the future. Fantasy, maybe resentments, mulling over things we wish would have been different. Right? Do we want to cultivate that, or would we rather be cultivating more skillful mind states? So the very practice of cultivating these thoughts, even though the quality might not be present, it replaces other thoughts. This is, this is from the Buddha, from the Dhammapada. If we thoroughly release ourselves from such thoughts as they abused me, mistreated me, molested me, robbed me, hatred is vanquished. When we hold on to thoughts for a long time, we reinforce those, those patterns in our mind. When we use wise speech internally in our thinking, we can transform those thoughts. We can understand them through the lens of our feelings and our values. Instead of, they abused me, we can hear that and say, I felt so hurt. I so wanted to be treated with care and with kindness. And then we can mourn what happened and move on. And then a memory becomes just a memory rather than a thorn that becomes infected. This is a quote from Rumi. It says, uh, speaking to this, this experience of being human and being affected and having the potential to, to meet experience in another way. Heart, I said, what a gift it has been to enter this circle of lovers to see beyond seeing itself, to reach and feel within the breast. I'll read that once more. Heart, I said, what a gift it has been to enter this circle of lovers, to see beyond seeing itself, to reach and feel within the breast. Can we open our heart enough to let the world really touch us? Not without kindness, compassion, joy, and balance. But if we have kindness in our hearts, if we can call forth compassion and joy and balance, then more and more we can open. Another way to understand metta is um, willingness. This willingness to be here. A willingness to be here, to show up. There's, there's, there needs to be some trust that there's something worthwhile about being here. And then we then we can bring forth we can bring forth our presence and our heart.
And that willingness, it's that, it's that willingness to meet experience. That's kindness. To me, they're, they, seem set, they seem different, but they're really two sides of the same, same coin. If, if, I, if I don't have kindness, I can't be willing to meet experience if the heart isn't kind for me. If the heart doesn't have a sense of kindness or warmth, then I'm just going through the motions and pushing. When there's kindness and warmth, then there can be a willingness to see what this is. There's a softness. So this, uh, this quality that we all have of, of resonance in the heart, of empathy, anukampati, the heart that trembles with experience. <clears throat> I'm just waiting to see if there's anything else that I want to share on this before closing. Yeah. <clears throat> Just uh There's there's I think there's something miraculous about what happens when we can when we can bring forth the heart in that way. That this this quality of empathic presence is transformative. Now think about when you're in a hard space and you, you can't seem to muster up the kindness for yourself and someone shows up and someone really shows up and listens and cares What happens? What happens inside? It's, it's because we're fundamentally connected. We're, we're fundamentally related to one another. And our hearts feel they're affected. They, they can't help but be affected. And so when our heart meets a field of care, a field of empathy, it affects it and vice versa. And so the cultivation of this heart is one of the greatest gifts that we can offer. Because then all of those we come in contact with receive the gift of our presence, receive the gift of our care. And you never know. You never know when one word one glance, what kind of effect it will have, how meaningful it could be for someone. That's the power, the power of, of empathy and presence in the heart. And it comes through patience, through cultivation, and uh, a trust. Trusting that that's here for us, that it's part of what we are. And it comes through loss. It comes through meeting experience. It comes through meeting experience with warmth. And it grows, it matures. I want to close with a poem just about that. That sense that the the heart grows and matures in kindness and empathy. This is, uh, some of you may know this poem. It's one of my favorites. It's by Naomi Shihab Nye. It's called Kindness. Before you know what kindness is, you must lose things. 
Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till, the, till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is you I've been looking for. And then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. It is only kindness that makes sense anymore, that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is you I have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. Maybe let's sit together quietly for a few moments. for your attention. We have some time for walking meditation and we'll meet back